0: Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 182 for Monday, February 28th, 2022, the last of February. My name is Joel Duggan and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as the Elevated
1: Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir hello and we've uh, if you want to elevate your spawn chunks experience you can uh, get the extended conversation by visiting patreon.com slash the spawn chunks and listen to the render distance where joel and i have been talking about vikings valhalla on netflix the anticipation for the lord of the rings show on amazon prime and a variety of other things that we've been doing with our morning here on this lovely monday or very cold monday if you are joel um aside from that it's been a great week to be a patron of the spawn chunks because patrons not only got an extended episode with sliced lime last week but we had a great time at our first minecraft hangout this weekend where some folks from our discord were sharing screenshots of what they've been doing in minecraft we chatted about what to build in the badlands why people don't use coral more the many uses of map art and lots of other stuff if you're a patron you can get the download of that in your patrons only rss feed and you can follow along with the hangout chat which is still archived In our Discord. Other things patrons get include uh, a bit of priority in the chunk mail dispenser episodes if you write into the show and get your email read. Uh, We also have a quarterly hangout where we go over facts and figures and the behind the scenes of making the show, and hopefully lots of monthly Minecraft hangouts to come. So there's a a lot on the slate for patrons in 2022.
0: And thanks everyone for the support. It's great to hit this milestone. And that was super fun. I had a blast. It's so nice to have the time to sit down and, and see. And talk uh, in real time with people about their screenshots. Like it's cool that we have that that room in our in our Discord that people post screenshots and talk about them. But it can feel like a, a bulletin board sometimes because not everybody's around at the same time. But when you're in that live conversation talking about builds, like as people are there, if you have a question, they're going to answer right away. So that was really cool.
1: Yeah, and it was, it's, I want to contribute to the, the the screenshot chat basically all the time to chip in about like what I like about some people's stuff, but I don't always have the time during my day. So mm-hmm. nice to set aside a little bit of time for that. Speaking of which, we're going to chat a bit about what's new in our Minecraft lives. And why don't you kick us off, Joel? So to get this out of the way, I played All of Fabric 5 a little
0: bit. I moved to Tree Farm, and that's all I did. I, I'm kind of hitting a wall um, in that in that um playthrough where i think the next move is going to be a vanilla move slash modded move where i have to get myself ready to go fight the dragon because better end is one of the mods in the pack and Mm -hmm. that will be a very unique and new experience but i am not ready at the moment so what i decided to do was just move the tree farm so that my complex looks better and so things are still happening but it's out of the way made it a little bit more automated but nothing too crazy
1: when you get to the better end stuff it'd be really interesting to hear more about that on the show considering that the end dimension is one of the things that the community is eyeing up and saying hey mojang needs to add some stuff here and it'd be interesting to kind of contrast what you might expect from an end update with what people have delivered in in modded so uh yeah excited to hear you get to that point
0: me too the real fun this week was on the Citadel. I uh, I had this block where I didn't know what to do next in the west part of town. And so the solution was don't do anything at all. I ended up spending some time shaping some rivers, which led to uh, actually being inspired to create a stone bridge across uh, one of the south rivers a- into the town. And this is going to help with the south gate feeling less of a just plunked, on the landscape and have like a little fishing village that doesn't exist within the town walls but is you know people are are living near the town in case bad things happen so they can kind of like go inside so it's very rough right now there's a couple of stone foundations laid out you know diorite and stone as i've often done before but the stone bridge was something that was really fun and in sp- in uh, particular i built it off of a uh website image from tabletopworld.com and uh they have like um, models for for miniatures, like for for D and D displays, or just you just want to make a model as a hobby. And so it's not a Minecraft model, and it's not a Lego model. It's something that you very traditionally have to translate from its existence into into Minecraft. But it is 3D, so you can get multiple views of this model, especially from like a shop on the website where. Um, If you're purchasing it, you want to see what it looks like from multiple angles. And Mm. this bridge is, is got some asymmetrical things to it. It's got two little guard huts on one end, but then the other side, there's only one building and it's a much larger building. And so the way that I've done that is I've had the top floor of the building comes out onto the deck of the bridge, but then the bottom floor exits onto the river, which is of course, um, five or six blocks below the bridge. Um, I've not finished all the texturing on the bridge and the approach, but I have finished the two guard huts and, uh, I finished the, the main house that's on the bridge. And, uh, I am not even sure if it's something that someone would live in more like someone that would just like stay there and like watch over the bridge or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it was a lot of fun. I, a lot of problem solving. I'm trying to make this area look older and poorer or or not built of, of the same materials inside the town. So there's just gonna be a lot of wood, a lot of stone. I'm gonna try to do more wood walls so it looks more like shacks than it does like real sturdy, sturdy things. Um, the bridge of course had to look sturdy, but I'm happy with the way that it came out. I, I, I had to make some adjustments to the roof. It was very ugly. And it turned out that even though it's a small build, adding a little bit of depth, like in, in like a five by five square house, sometimes just taking the corners off so one of your walls is three blocks wide it gives it just that little bit of a like a dormer feel or a, of a protruding wall and it's just the amount of detail that you need to make it look less ugly because <laughs> that yeah. was my problem was like i don't know how to describe what's wrong with it other than like i don't like it <laughs> i yeah. want to change it and it's hard on that scale
1: yeah, no, I, I get into that rut every time of like, you know, I'm not entirely certain what I want to change about this, but there's still something missing slightly. I love the Tabletop World site, though. That seems like a really fun resource. And while it's got like, you know, a range of models, some of which are grayscale, so you're not seeing like in full color, you can kind of, you know, you can figure out from the models they've got there what's what's what. And I, yeah, I, I like that as a, a way of being able to search for more designs like that without stuff like you know concept art from art station or just a google image search that's probably going to fill itself with stuff from minecraft if your search history is anything like mine because um i i was doing a bit of building it in the survival guide this week i was looking for a crane to build in this dripstone cave mine that i've decided is going to be more of like a a fantasy steampunk dwarven kind of style build where Everything is sort of propped up and beamed and there's going to be lights strung up along the roof and lanterns and like there's a a crane that is helping lift cargo from a lower cave floor up to the elevated platforms that are the entrance to this whole thing. And I came across a bunch of crane designs just by searching for it uh, and... So many of them were things that people had already built in Minecraft (laughs) and they're just Minecraft builds in in my search history. And then I found one that was from, I think, Anno 1800, which is another video game I'm not that familiar with. but yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah, like has lots of, it seems like a strategy game kind of thing or like a, a sort of world building game. So there's a lot of like what I would describe as units or things that you'd build in say, like a Warcraft style game, like a top down RTS kind of situation. And there was a crane there that fit perfectly what I wanted. So I'm more or less building that or a kind of Minecraft facsimile of that uh, as I go. And and that's working really well. But finding stuff that wasn't already like either something that I'd seen when I'd idly Googled this before or somebody else's Minecraft build that I didn't want to end up copying too much from was uh, was actually a surprisingly difficult task it's funny like i i have that issue as well
0: and uh, to go down the model route i find that pinterest will give you more 3d models mm-hmm. whereas you know if you're on art station obviously you're going to get more flat artwork and stuff like that but yeah uh, anna would be a really good inspiration for minecraft as well because um as far as i know it's like a city builder so think like city skylines but f- like 1800s right okay that, it's that, that kind, kind of, thing. of thing yeah um but so there's lots of resources and they'd have to have like lots of variations so that everything you build doesn't look exactly the same, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I imagine any kind of like concept art or models from from Anno um, would be excellent reference for Minecraft. Um, yeah. I was I was watching your. Um, I haven't seen the crane. I don't know if I get to the end of the episode, but I was watching your latest episode uh, on the Survival Guide Season Two, and um, the bubble columns and the the ladders and stuff was super cool.
1: Um, yeah. I think they they kind of fit with um, I was going fairly basic with player elevators and I wanted to fit scaffolding and ladders in there somewhere because those felt like the kind of things that while they're very basic for the player and we're used to things that are faster and you know you you fall into a block of water instead of having to slowly make your way down through scaffolding. It made sense to have them there as part of the world for miners to be able to kind of climb up there manually instead of the the only water elevator I have goes up to the boss's office, basically, because he's the one who's got like the fancy equipment, more or less. Um, So yeah, I was working with water elevators a little bit and managed to fit in my opinions about magma block bubble columns, which is that they're they're not good for player transport because you can just fall and it's faster. Um... So yeah, I've been working on a little bit of that. Added in a slime block uh, bounce pad as well, which are still one of my favorite things to build just because I forget about the the use of slime blocks for player movement because honestly they're not all that reliable, I think, and I don't know if that's changed. So I'm interested in experimenting with a bit, with that a bit more and seeing if it's if it's become a little bit more reliable or if it still has the issue where occasionally you'll clip into the block in a weird way and you'll find yourself inside the thing suffocating in a slime block which has happened to me on a a number of previous occasions
0: i like the idea of using slime blocks to like launch yourself across like what normally you would bridge across you know yeah Mm -hmm. or too far to jump inconvenient to fly because it's too short but having a slime block landing pad and a slime block launcher i think is a is a fun way to try and get around it i mean it depends on your build of course like it has to suit what you're doing but um, i've always i've always liked that i i agree with you i'm glad you brought up the magma block elevator because whenever i saw that happening uh in let's plays i always just Kind of groaned in my head, like why? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's it's weird. Like I'm not even playing, and
1: I'm annoyed that it's taking you so long to go down this elevator. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, like, like just... it's cool if you build a block swapper at the bottom of it, so you can pull a lever and then it becomes a soul sand bubble column compared to a, a magma and vice versa. Right? You can have it just kind of shuttle a block back and forth depending on whether you want to go up or down, and then you're only using one water column, which is great. But yeah, the rest of the time, yeah, I just find them just <laughs> I don't know unnecessarily irritating. You always take down at the bottom of them as well and they're slow and i just don't bother with them all that much i've used them for item transport once or twice because then you can have a water flow at the bottom of the column that's going to propel the items right. outwards but yeah, even cool. even that isn't as reliable as a mechanic as it sounds like it should be no so i haven't really uh, messed around with them too much um I did die for the first time in Survival Guide this week as well, which which was weird, but it didn't happen on camera. And so I just kind of went, oh, well, I guess that happened. I just went back and got my stuff. A creeper blew me up at the entrance to this base I've been working on because caves are still the boss of 118. And it turns out (laughs) there are a lot of dark areas in this wide open dripstone cave I've been building in, some of which were directly above my head. Um, it was one of those things where I was just in my inventory crafting buttons to put on this crane, and I just decided, yeah, let me craft some warped buttons, and then a couple of seconds later, boom, just out of nowhere. And I think I was wearing a gold helmet and elytra at the time, so I didn't even have, like, a full set of armor, but... It just took me by surprise and blew up at point blank and there wasn't really a whole lot I could do. So I I gave that a brief nod in the episode, but I couldn't really like do immediately do a whole episode about like, well, here's what to do when you die, chaps, because the whole thing just happened off camera. That's
0: going to be, I guess, a risk when you're doing the tutorial series and then something that you really want to include in the tutorial happens when you're doing like the behind the scenes play or I mean, I guess it would be, like, second best if it happened on stream versus, you know, being able to record it for a, a Let's Play video. But just to have it happen on your own, you like, ah, oh, darn it. <laughs> you know, it would have been nice to t- actually talk about this.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I'm cheating myself out of content at the end of the day. Mm, but it's, mm-hmm. it's also, yeah, I, I think people, especially in more recent Minecraft community stuff, people have a- applied a lot more, um, meaning to death now. I think it's probably because of the, um the rise of hardcore as one yeah. of the things people tend to mm-hmm. expect from Minecraft Let's Plays now is that like it's a big momentous thing when you die and people are like oh no and I find that it doesn't really bother me like as long as I can go back and get my stuff like I don't really care and the fact that it was an anti-climax in terms of like what I could do with it in the video almost worked better for my point of view about death in Minecraft and considering that I just spent the entirety of Empire's SMP Like, trying to get some element of that hardcore experience into what was just a regular survival server by marking everybody's deaths by putting candles out and stuff like that, and and applying some layer of meaning to when people died on this server, I... I kind of find it funny to now be taking the opposite perspective and kind of going, eh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, just went went back and got my stuff again. It was fine. I lost a few XP levels. I can get them back at whatever farm that I happen to have going at the time. So, yeah, re- really strange experience to have not really been bothered by it. But I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it, personally. I now, uh, speaking of creepers, I'm getting my revenge because I have a mob farm now. I built a uh, multi-platform nice. uh, Nembon-style mob farm over an ocean to the north of my... Um, My kind of spawn area. So now I have an easier supply of both bone meal and gunpowder. Two things I was sorely lacking as a recently uh, acquired elytra was just sitting in my ender chest, not being used very much because I didn't want to spend all my nights harvesting creepers for gunpowder. So now I have a mob farm, I can AFK it, and it's going a lot better.
0: I had a question about that because I watched that video as well. I noticed that you alternated the water on the platforms going up. Yes. Yeah, one on, one off. Yeah. yeah as the as the clock goes you know half of them are on and half of them are off and then vice versa does that do a lot to uh to up the the production of the farm because ultimately when i've tried stuff like that something always ends up to a sink and then my eye twitches because like there's two platforms <laughs> in a row that are on and, yeah, I mean, yeah ultimately it doesn't matter if you know the top five are on and the bottom five are off like it like it doesn't really matter um But it just for the sake of like that nice aesthetic of having like every other one on and every other one off. um, Have you did you know if it if it matters if someone just decides I'm just going to have them all turn on at the same time?
1: I asked my community this because I wasn't certain myself. Um, I wasn't sure if they encountered any tutorials where somebody had done the maths and, and like actually tried both versions against each other. Seeing as this is just one set of, I think, like eight platforms total, it's not filling up the mob cap. And it wouldn't do that if all of the platforms were off versus all of the platforms being on. So I think alternating the platforms works better because when one set of platforms is flooded, the other four are still spawning stuff because the first spawn cycle hasn't filled up the entire mob cap, meaning that... It's not reducing the efficiency of the farm to still have a bunch of mobs flowing out on the water and then dying in the campfires below. It's much more about constantly having mobs spawning in there and then flushing those platforms instead of spawning a bunch all at once and then letting the mob cap maybe reach saturation and then flushing them off and having to wait for the platforms to reset. And I think that gives it the edge. But with a farm this small, I'm not building sort of multiple modules of this. It's just the one. It really doesn't matter. The one where I had built four different, you know, floating platforms, I think may have mattered more when I did, like, which platforms alternated and which ones didn't. But frankly, like, it, it doesn't seem to make a difference if the farm you build is, is this small. Generally, people in the comments said, I've heard you're supposed to alternate them, but I've never really noticed a huge difference. And at the end of the day, the farms are efficient enough that the main factor is time. You know, it's it, it, every farm produces the same amount of things. The variable is is going to be how long it takes to do that. So I'm fine AFKing for another half hour if it means I get another couple of stacks of gunpowder.
0: Right. If you're AFK, you're AFK. Like it's exactly. Just, yeah. 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 I get it. Moving on into the news, uh, quite a few things to punch out this week. Minecraft Java Edition one point eighteen point two pre release two came out between last episode and this episode. Technical changes in pre-release 2 include that they've added a spline density function, general purpose building block that allows you to express almost any function using a cubic spline. I hope you know what that means because I do not. (laughs) Same. Fixed bugs in pre-release 2 include uh, being unable to put focus on copyright Mojang AB, do not distribute using the tab key, strongholds can generate in the void biome, Super flat worlds cannot be created without using presets. An empty generator setting string crashes the server when starting up, and fortress mobs can spawn outside of fortresses. Minecraft Java edition 1.18.2 Pre-release three was also put out. These are just bug fixes. A few to note are that glow berries and glow lichen generation does not cause light updates across chunk borders. Being unable to double click to join a realm, the slash locate command not working properly in flat worlds. The world freezes on super flat when using the locate command to find a pillager outpost. And explorer maps leading to a custom structure
1: or custom structures can cause the server to hang. All of those bugs have been fixed. Shortly thereafter we had java edition 118.2 release candidate 1, the first and hopefully only release candidate for 118.2. Uh, this release candidate fixed two world generation bugs that could cause a server to stop running. Those were the custom dimension settings could cause the server to stop running but not crash, and some world gen data packs were killing the internal server, which was possibly related to density functions. The full release was planned for today, February 28th, and right as we started the show, somebody in our discord was kind enough to link us to the full release article for minecraft java edition 1.18.2 so to recap the main points of this update that are in the article on minecraft.net and you've heard us talk about these from previous snapshot changelogs users running minecraft in a 32-bit environment would receive a warning in the main menu about the upcoming end of 32-bit environment support If you're a player in South Korea, gameplay timers and notices have been added in compliance with gaming laws to help remind players to take occasional breaks from gameplay. A seed of the number 0 is no longer handed as a special case during world generation. Any spaces before and after an inputted seed would now be trimmed. Dolphins will now more accurately pick the closest structure regardless of type when searching for... Uh, drowned treasure chests and ender chests are no longer gift wrapped around christmas there are also a bunch of bug fixes listed we'll encourage you to check out our show notes this week or go to minecraft.net to find the changelog for yourself as we roll forward into 118.2 over on minecraft.net we also wanted to highlight and give a shout out to Friend of the Show Mythical Sausage. He was featured on minecraft.net in an article talking about his love for building in hardcore survival Minecraft, medieval style building and creating a kingdom on Empire's SMP. And as a pro for hardcore Minecraft his advice was sleep. Sleep all the time and frankly I entirely agree. I thought this was a great
0: highlight for Mythical's amazing builds. When I mm-hmm. I I always have a mental note to like okay I know I really like what he does. I have to try to not copy it when I'm doing my own medieval building because my brain kind of goes like, yeah, this looks really cool. I've seen this
1: before mythical sausage <laughs> <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> yeah de- definitely want to shake your fist at and yeah no he was yeah. he was always far and away the person to try and keep up with on empire's smp like he was one of the people who just put us to shame in terms of how much he could get done and yeah he's he's a great dude so like uh, again shout out to mythical sausage well done for uh, getting featured by the minecraft team and yeah well deserved i think
0: We'll have a link to all of uh, Mythical's like online accounts and YouTube and Twitch and
1: all that kind of stuff in our show notes. Definitely. Um, So 1182 is out now. And I presume right after this, I am going to be updating because I'm, while I'm not in any hurry, uh, I'm not an Optifine user. I don't rely on mods like Sodium or whatever to be updated. I'm not running Fabric on my uh, single player world. Um, changes under the hood are good bug fixes are appreciated my experience of 118 and 118.1 has been pretty solid anyway so i wouldn't mind if i had to wait to update to 118.2 but frankly i think i may as well right i don't see much uh difference there uh how about you i presume the citadel is going to be going to be waiting a little bit yes
0: we'll be waiting a little bit thankfully fabric is usually pretty quick to update so well, we would be able to update to the Fabric API and the proper version of Fabric uh, right away. Um, but it's other mods that we are using. Now, sometimes they don't change any functionality. Sometimes the mod just has to change their version just so that they actually work. Uh, same thing with data packs. It's just a matter of changing the the, um, the meta file to make sure that it's on the right version. Uh, otherwise, there's no change in the code. It works just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we don't see many things wrong with one eighteen one. Uh, we're not in a race or we're not like feeling like we're behind waiting for one eighteen two. There's no real content. It's just like you said, bug fixes and stability stuff. And none of the bugs, none of the server bugs that they, they've outlined and that we've talked about on the show today have been experienced on the Citadel. So I'm not really worried about it. We actually had a little bit more lag when we first started, but I think that might have been our, more of our hosting provider than than the version of, of Minecraft. Uh it seems to have balanced out a bit. Every once in a while, I'll get some block lag if I'm placing water really quickly or mm-hmm. uh, digging out like a lot of sand really fast. But like that's been happening my entire gameplay career playing Minecraft. So um, that wasn't, you know, that's not something that I think, oh, I have to update to 1182, That's going to fix it. Um, the one thing that I, I saw was missing that I notice an awful lot now that I think is, uh, we've talked about it on the show But i've been experiencing a lot as i've been building and trying to showcase stuff live on stream it rains a lot Mm -hmm. in minecraft now and uh you can sleep and honestly i've actually been able to sleep when apparently the game calls it a thunderstorm but i'm not hearing the thunder like if it's raining and i hear thunder i think oh cool i can go sleep and get rid of this weather and people can enjoy the stream a little bit more but i've gone to bed or walked up to the bed around the end of the night for me i've got a clock on screen so it's like it's 18:33 is when i can sleep and i've walked up to it and clicked on it just habitually thinking like i know i've got a couple more seconds but i want to just do this and then it sleeps and i realize Mm -hmm. it's because it's raining even though it's not technically thundering for me the game must realize that it's or think that it's a thunderstorm so um, because you can't just sleep through the rain i wish you could
1: yeah no you you can i think rain always has to worsen into a thunderstorm like i feel like thunderstorms don't oh. just start themselves so it may be that's just a coincidence of timing yeah but, um but you're right yeah no it, it's definitely got to the point where i've uh, i i've definitely I, i'm quite happy that i've moved into a cave now because i was experiencing a lot of rain right um, and and having to wait potentially 10 minutes for the opportunity to sleep and get rid of the rain is kind of part of the part of the gameplay for me now um yeah so so one eighteen two is out i feel like a lot of the changes in this are also for map makers like a lot of the bug fixes and a lot of the stuff that we were talking about with sliced lime last week with um you know being able to uh have data-driven structure and feature placement in the game now um which is immensely powerful for people who want to tinker with that stuff but then for the the average survival player i think 118 was a really solid experience for survival players primarily and then 118.1 and.2 have been for everybody else um for for the map makers out there for the people who are tinkering with that stuff in creative for builders Uh, who work in creative all of that stuff is uh, yeah a lot more a lot more feasible now and hopefully that puts us in good stead moving into 1.19 because of course the other thing for 1.18 to to get excited about is the fact that they've said this is probably the last dot release for 1.18 and now they're going to start releasing snapshots for the wild update more regularly we won't say there will be one next week because we don't know but it's more likely that we'll start to see Wild Update content creeping out on the heels of the Warden snapshot that we got last week. So very exciting time to uh, yeah look ahead to stuff like the Wild Update. Speaking of the Wild Update, that
0: actually is a bit of a focus in our mailbag this week. What do you say we jump into some chunk mail?
1: Absolutely, yes. Uh, and if you'd like to email the show and give us your opinions on anything we discuss, really, but uh, keep it short and sweet if you can, the email address is spawnchunkmail.com. At gmail.com. This first email comes in from The Stranger with the subject of Minecraft immersion. Greetings, Johnny and Joel. I've been thinking about immersion in Minecraft since the announcement of 1.19. I use the Dynamic Surroundings mod to enhance the ambient side of Minecraft, especially the sound of footsteps, and the Fresh Animations resource pack to improve the look of mob movement. These two modifications make the game seem much more realistic to me. What do you think are the most noticeable ways in which Minecraft could be more immersive, and what features or bugs currently break the immersion for you? Thanks for a thought-provoking podcast. The stranger forgot he was playing Minecraft because the game was so immersive. Uh, We will put links to dynamic surroundings and fresh animations in our show notes as well for anybody interested in checking those out. Those are both freely available on curseforge.com. I'm not certain if they're available for fabric and or forge, but um, yeah, uh, I've I've played with dynamic surroundings in the past, so I'm a bit more familiar with that than I am the other one. Uh,
0: there's a, one called Mambiance that I know works for Fabric, uh, similar to dynamic surroundings. And if I recall, I think I ended up liking Mambiance better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do remember with Mambiance that you had control over some things. So like if you didn't like the footsteps, which I felt were a little bit intrusive, you could turn them down or off. And I just turned them off and I think with I went with vanilla footsteps. But there were other things that I thought were great, like wind when you're flying with elytra you know and uh uh i think there were birds chirping in certain forest biomes and things like that uh squirrels like not visually just sounds and i thought that was really cool i don't think the fresh animations is something that i've tried yet because recently we switched to or i switched to using sodium uh, on fabric to see if i can get better performance out of that rather than um rather than uh, Optifine. And -hmm. as far as I know, Fresh Animations relies on Optifine. I have not yet seen something similar for Fabric yet. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's bad. a lot
1: of a lot of stuff with resource packs that Optifine kind of builds upon the stuff that's in vanilla mm-hmm. already. So, yeah, it definitely says Optifine required like 3 uh points down that page, so fair play. Uh, I did just take a peek at the Dynamic Surroundings page on CurseForge. For- Curse there is a uh Dynamic Surroundings Fabric edition that is linked directly from there. So, there's there's clearly a a spin-off for for fabric. Cool. Um, On the subject of immersion though, because that's the the topic that The Stranger is bringing up here, noticeable ways in which Minecraft could be more immersive. I entirely agree with stuff like dynamic surroundings. I think ambient sounds are fantastic for stuff like this. And having played with stuff like that, there are definitely... There's definitely a lot to be said for the ability to turn on and off some of those because one of the things that annoyed me about dynamic surroundings was like a mosquito buzzing sound that happened when you were near water (laughs) and I went no I'm not having that like and and I think bees in vanilla Minecraft now have a much more pleasant buzz than the kind of tiny kind of sound that you get with with mosquitoes so stuff like that and like you know running water having a variety of sounds and i think i think variety is potentially one of the ways in which minecraft becomes more like real life in that we hear a lot of sounds and they can start to feel a little bit mechanical after a while minecraft does a good job of pitching different sounds up and down depending on you know a, a randomized kind of approach to that which is why not all zombies growl the same sometimes you get some that growl a little bit deeper and lower and there are a few different zombie growls and that kind of variety could apply to a lot more things so i think the the water sound in minecraft as it kind of fades in and out could maybe have like a couple more you know slops and sloshes but it sort of mimics the way minecraft's water moves in that it is very linear sounding and obviously you don't get a great deal of natural movement in Minecraft's water because it's just a downward slope. So I I feel like it it almost makes sense. It, it, It might feel a little bit too realistic sounding in contrast to the minimal visuals in Minecraft. And so I think the ways in which Minecraft can be more immersive also have to match the aesthetic of the game, which is honestly a lot harder than it sounds, if you'll forgive the pun.
0: Yeah, I think sounds for me are the things that have added the most without the risk of changing the Minecraft charm. You know, uh, when I walk through a forest and I hear birds chirping, I don't think, "Oh, this is different. Minecraft broken. Pickaxe down." Like you know, I, I, it's not heavy enough for for a big switch. Uh, I do find something that is. It can be good and bad depending on how it's implemented talking about sounds but things like cave echoes like if you're in a cave Mm -hmm. and someone's put like a lot of reverb in the in the resource pack um it's different so it's very distracting compared to what you're used to in minecraft and and if it's overdone if everything echoes like you're in a giant chamber then it, it feels a little bit um over the top and then it's distracting and then you can't think about anything else but but then again like i've never played with that for like any length of time Um, I remember when I removed the Mambiance mod pack that I was using, the first thing that I noticed missing was how quiet it was flying with Elytra compared to Mm -hmm. having the wind rush through your ears. And it wasn't like it was a bad thing. You just got used to it, but I noticed the change immediately. And so you do get used to it if you're playing with something for a very long time. Um, I ran into some issues, I think on my All of Fabric 5 playthrough with, one of the mods, I forgive me, I don't remember which one it was, but as soon as I installed it and played with it for the afternoon, I felt the game was very laggy. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure with sound resource packs how much of a tax they are on the system. And I know some of them don't have as many controls as others, but you can if you know what you're doing, you can always go into the the resource pack and just delete the sound. Like yeah. if you just if you don't like the mosquito buzzing, if you can figure out which one it is and just like remove that file, then then that's great.
1: From what I remember of dynamic surroundings, it was very configurable. Like there were opportunities to turn down certain sounds on volume sliders, disable them entirely, replace them. Like you could do a lot with it. And there were a couple of other mods on the same server that had similar things going on for what they would do with the surroundings, making feel things feel more natural. But I'm pretty sure Dynamic Surroundings was one you could configure pretty heavily.
0: Yeah, and I've done that with some of my own sounds. Like I've got a single resource pack and the only thing it does is it removes the sound of grass breaking and replaces uh-huh. it with the sound of dirt breaking. Just because yeah. I particularly find that high-pitched grass static mining noise irritable and i think i did it when i was flattening the area in the modern city where i was digging grass for days and i was just like okay i'm done i'm so done (laughs) (laughs) i was i was turning the block noises down but then forgetting to turn them back up for when i was doing other things that you know sounded weird um so yeah it that that kind of stuff is always good to have control of Um, to to move on to the other part of the question which was like what do you think are the most noticeable ways in which minecraft could be more immersive uh or what takes you out of the game for me the stuff that takes out of the game are i think like wonky player controls and water mechanics so lately more so in my mind because i've been doing a lot of work in the rivers uh for which i have to take my elytra off otherwise i'm just in a world of hurt constantly Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not going to say that it's not entirely human error. Like I'm sure that my I'm kind of I'm probably auto pressing some button in my, you know, just out of habit that's causing me to do all this stuff. But with the elytra on in water, you do this weird, floaty, annoying thing where you can't do anything. You can't place or interact with blocks until your feet hit the ground. Yeah, you're and, kind of
1: like bobbing up and down on the surface Yeah, you whole jump, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, or or vice
1: versa, you dive
0: in and then you're not in swim mode, you're still in elytra mode. Yeah. And it's, it's convenient if you also want to then fly out of the water, but if you don't, it's I find it very disorienting and it, it makes me a little bit seasick. And, and so I find that kind of hard to deal with. And that takes me out of the game. Uh, also water mechanics doing funky things you know like connecting in ways that they shouldn't like when something flows up which i think is one of the things they fixed in the recent um recent update um but like one by block one blocks of water you pick up a bucket and instead of creating a water source you're just left with an empty square of water Uh (laughs) (laughs) you know like that you're like oh okay right video game got it okay Uh, because otherwise i'm pretty good at kind of like that suspension of disbelief and kind of letting myself go into it and this hasn't happened in a long time, um, but in terms of bugs, like any kind of chunk loading error, like when you're walking across a chunk and you're like, oh, I can see all the way down to bedrock because oh, yeah, this no. hasn't <laughs> loaded in. And, and now I can see like, oh, there's a cave spider down there. And like I that would have been fu- nice to find naturally, but like I'm looking right at it. Uh, so that kind of stuff I always
1: find um, breaking, but that's kind of the obvious stuff. Um, are there any features for you that, that take you out of the game? It's funny because like, I was thinking about my answer to this and I thought it's it's weird, but I don't necessarily consider Minecraft immersive in the same way that other people do in the sense of it being a more realistic experience because of how stylized the graphics are and how I think about the game constantly is as a series of mechanics now. And yes, I'm building stuff and I'm, I'm trying to have an artistic vision for what's going on, but I uh, like I, I either don't consider Minecraft immersive and that's not what I'm looking for in the game or maybe on the flip side I consider everything about Minecraft immersive despite its faults like I know that I'm immersing myself in this game in particular as opposed to an experience that I'm expecting to imitate real life I would probably if I wanted something a bit more immersive I would probably be playing either like something in VR that actually has the chance of simulating you being in that kind of environment or something with more realistic both physics and appearances for everything. You know, Ark Survival Evolved or Rust or any of those games that take a stylized approach but are a little bit closer to reality. Um, I'm just used to looking at Minecraft as a game all the time now and that's probably just because of the type of you know, YouTube content I like to make. I- I've committed myself to explaining how Minecraft works as I go and that kind of deconstructive way of looking at things kind of ruins the idea of immersion for me anyway it just depends whether or not I'm kind of into it and focused on what I'm doing I feel like tunnel vision isn't necessarily immersion it's just like I'm really concentrating on what I'm doing and I don't know if immersion is necessarily something that i want from the game because i feel like that's also something it's up to the player to create if you want to make an interesting looking swamp biome then the game isn't always going to provide that for you it's something that you can tailor to your own needs you can make something feel more realistic by building it realistic um so as far as that that kind of thing i had a hard time coming up with any solid answers for that part of the question uh, how about you so I don't want to
0: pilfer my answer to the next email with the, with like the world building stuff. But but yeah, I, I find that for me features uh, that take me out of it a little bit are things like um, the metric ton of river squid beaching themselves in the area. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, yeah, I can see I mean, that. I understand, I, I, like I'm not saying that I don't want squids in rivers because like obviously mechanically that's a good thing in the game and otherwise you'd be traveling forever to try to find ink, you know, so like that, that kind of stuff is good. Um, we talked about this actually a little bit on the, uh, Minecraft hangout this weekend, but floating chunks of earth
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, in the uh-huh. sky,
0: specifically like the one or two wide columns, not the big ones, but like, I can kind of forgive the big ones in, in a fantasy kind of idea, but like the big float, like floating islands and stuff like that, or, or floating chunks of land that just didn't render right. I think kind of take me out of it a bit. Um, I think too, that, um, like just moving villagers around, like there's just something about dealing with villagers that I don't find overly immersive. Like I quickly change my mind to like, what is the most efficient way that I can game this system and get done what I need to get done? Because it's just so frustrating to deal with them, uh, you know, in any other way. Um, Once they're in their place and you're trading with them, it's fine. It feels kind of immersive. It feels weird that they're imprisoned, but like that's, you know, that's what people do because it's the most, you know, rather than chasing them around a town, which you can do if you prefer um it is it just seems to be the quickest way to the end result um and speaking of villagers um the wandering trader in my face constantly while building mm-hmm. um yeah i i don't know if i would be quite as irritated because i'm i'm creating content i'm trying to stream and i'm trying to like i'm looking at this block and talking about it and then all of a sudden right in front of you you're just like dude yeah. <laughs> this is testing my patience, uh, and so that kind of stuff, as far as features, because they're not bugs. That's exactly how the game is designed to work, and I understand why. But for me, I'm just kind of like, okay, I wasn't. I was really lost in what I was doing until like your nose poked up in my face. Um, so that that kind of stuff takes me out of it. Um, as far as like the the immersion stuff, or looking at Minecraft like a realistic world, for me, I think I'm wondering if it's like my background as an artist, specifically a cartoonist and like wanting to do animation growing up and 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 doing some cg animation in school and for whatever reason i can very much look like my look at minecraft like an immersive world like that there's a quick suspension of disbelief i'm not so into it that i i i feel like it looks realistic um and not like in the same not not nearly in the same way uh as when i added some mods to skyrim on the xbox and walked around in that that was immersive. Like I mm-hmm. was, that was Walking Simulator 2.0. Like I was just like, okay, <laughs> I really feel like I'm I'm lost in this wintry uh, hellscape. Um, but um, I don't get that feeling from Minecraft, but I, c- I can kind of turn that switch and kind of forget that I'm, um, I don't want to say playing a video game, but I can certainly forget that it's the kind of game that it is and yeah. treat it a little bit more like something else, which I think is the whole idea behind a sandbox game.
1: Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I also wonder if render distance has something to do with it sometimes as well. Because if you think about other games which are visually more kind of, I don't want to say static, but you don't have as much control over the draw distance, the draw distance has basically been set for you by the people right. who made the game. Whereas in Minecraft, that's such a configurable aspect that... I don't know if it feels as immersive, more immersive, less immersive to be able to see further in Minecraft. I find it almost off-putting when I play Bedrock Edition and when I was playing Bedrock Edition with RTX, which again I think is probably one of the more immersive experiences I've had because of the way your player seems to react to the light when you step out of a cave and everything blooms for a second before it kind of settles in, your eyes kind of adjust to the light, or if you step into... Uh, a a house that you've built you can see light streaming in through the windows and that kind of feels more immersive but on rtx i had to have a lower render distance because it doesn't allow you to have as high a render distance as is possible on uh, windows 10 on bedrock edition or windows 11 i guess now you can have the render distance up to i think 96 chunks with vanilla graphics and i'm just like i don't need to see that far in real life, I don't think I could see that far unless you know the atmosphere didn't exist. So it's kind of strange that you can see to that distance sometimes. And I find a render distance like I've got now of 16 chunks a lot more immersive just because of the the fog blending stuff into the distance and there being you know no visible horizon above those trees.
0: Next email comes in from the Snowrose77, a landscape artist member of our Discord, Minecraft lore. Hello, Johnny and Joel. I have been thinking about Minecraft lore a lot lately. The fact that there has been nothing too explicitly stated about the lore by the developers helps extend the game's quote unquote sandboxiness beyond gameplay, allowing players to create their own. What sort of self-made lore do both of you keep in mind while playing? Do you like to imagine it for the whole game, for each world that you create, for each region that you build and play in? I like to think my player is like a botched illager creation. Perhaps the evokers in their plight to resurrect skeletons and zombies from an ancient builder race to pillage villagers messed up the player's character's creation. They now explore ancient ruins and recreate builds that percolate through their memories of times gone past. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Snowrow77 ate a whole cake amidst An Existential Crisis. (laughs) (laughs) BS, thanks so much for the podcast. I've listened for a little over a year now. You're great company on the long work days, and I have finally joined the Patreon. Well, thanks very much for your support, and thanks for listening for so long. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, really appreciate it. Um, As far as the lore of the game itself, I know there's been a lot of widely thrown around speculation from folks online about... What stuff in Minecraft inherently means, and that's not what this question is about, as far as I can tell, because it's it's much less about widely held community theories and, uh, you know, and and much more about like you know what you imagine for each individual time you're playing Minecraft, and I I, I prefer that approach to imagining that minecraft itself has a story because we're never going to get to hear that story the developers have been pretty clear that they don't want to they, they have a a lore of their own in mind for minecraft but they're not going to share it with anybody because that sort of defeats the point of what people do with the game so i don't bother guessing why piglins zombify when they come through to the overworld but villagers don't zombify unless they're bitten and all zombies kind of look like the default steve skin and you know there's something going on there who cares to me um and i don't have a problem enjoying that stuff when other people bring it up in videos or discussions i just don't adopt it as my my own way of thinking when it comes to attaching lore to your own builds to your own approach to playing the game i think especially for building i find it incredibly useful and lore ties in with theme so if you're building a base with a specific theme it definitely helps both guide what you want to do next and to justify what you've already done. <laughs> Not that anybody's really calling you out on having built another medieval house, but you think, yeah, people need places to live. And you start thinking a bit more about who those people are. And then that's what can, you know, spiral outwards into law for your entire world or just for that that region. I typically do it kind of region by region myself because a lot of the stuff I like to build is quite varied so I'll build something modern somewhere and medieval somewhere else and I'm not pretending that those exist in the same society like they don't have contact with each other it's not like one group of people just never got past a certain level of technology it's much more about I'm playing a video game and what style do I want to build in and then the individual regions have maybe reasons why people have settled there and you know, it it goes from there. But I'm much less thinking about it as an overall coherent world in the way I like to do things.
0: I have the same, like, way of breaking it down. Uh, because the Citadel is a long-time server, we're not planning on resetting... Um, And we wanted to have a little bit more of a cohesive feeling in certain areas um, compared to what I know I've mentioned before is like the Minecraft style of like the starting zone where like, you know, Matt Cast has a modern mansion on the hill. Uh, There's a (laughs) treehouse, not 20 meters from that, you know, uh, followed by an old fashioned cow farm. So um, that area kind of is its own thing. But as we've been branching out, we've done that thing where we've designated specific areas to have a design aesthetic and to inform that um i like to think about three things purpose age or history and visual experience Uh, age is the closest thing to lore that i lean on regularly i don't have a story for the town of west hill i've loosely called it medieval fantasy just so i can explain to people very easily when they're coming into the chat what it's supposed to look like Um, and i use fantasy specifically because you'll have those people that come in and say well if it was medieval then this would look like this or you wouldn't have this and it's like fantasy <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's my own um the internet can be quite literal sometimes and um for me though what is, is informing the build so much is the age is thinking about different parts of the town being built before others so you have the old part you have the newer part and then you have the newest part and the newest part is going to have fancier houses it's probably going to incorporate a lot of existing architecture from other parts of the town and then improve upon it uh, whereas early buildings are probably going to look more run down um, the roads are going to be different that kind of stuff and so that to me is is the lore i don't have a story it's not a specific kind of people you know i don't have like a a, a, a magistrate that lives there and like does nothing like that mm-hmm. um for me purpose is something that really informs the individual builds. And it's, again, it's lightly touching on lore. It's more like who built it and why did they build it? Yeah, And that could be something as as wild and as as, as fantastical as like the nether hub on the server uh, or say something like a dwarven underground city or a floating alien base. Like you just, you kind of want to have a premise. And that's, I think what you were talking about when you were saying theme, you know, same idea is that you want it to have some sort of co- cohesive thing. Um, With us on the Citadel, we have realms that are like 10, 20,000 blocks apart. And so what we've done is we've kind of assigned specific uh, areas to be specific things like an Asia Pacific kind of like Ming Dynasty area uh, where all those builds are going to look a similar way. Uh, The medieval fantasy like so you can build like an elven castle if you want to just don't build a skyscraper that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff and that helps separate and help with the immersion that we were talking about before of being in that area. So everything within eye distance is going to be medieval esque or fantasy esque in style. You're not going to have like helicopters flying over overhead that kind of idea. Um, Yeah, but and I find for me as a player like in terms of the actual players lore, I don't think of myself as like a player character. I think of me as me in in the game. And I really feel the more I play, the more I treat Minecraft like a digital tabletop game or tabletop model. Uh, and I just imagine myself in that world kind of like for whatever reason as like the ability, even though I'm playing survival, I still feel like I'm playing in creative in terms of like your godlike ability to create whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And And I feel like, the player is an extension of me in the same way that a brush in Photoshop is an extension of me when I'm trying to create, if I was painting a scene, you know, that kind of idea is that I'm the artist, I can create this however I want. And that I think kind of folds over into the experience part of what I mentioned, the visual experience. And that is I treat it like I'm I'm not able to make a video game yet. That's not something that I can do professionally. Um, hats off to the people that do. But Minecraft gives you some really cool tools to almost do that. Like if you wanted to create, you know, the experience of walking through those those realms of in World of Warcraft, start creating realms in Minecraft, start creating biomes, start creating those roads at round corners and a tree wipes in front of your view as it reveals a castle on the hill. Like you could have those moments. And that's what I think I'm doing with with the 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 lore or the the immersion part of my city is that I want it to feel not just that it is immersive, but I want it to feel intentional. Like I put this road here because yes, this is the most likely road that they would take going South, but also (laughs) it's a really cool reveal when you come around the corner, like Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a dual edge and that's the artist in me that I just can't, I can't turn off.
1: Yeah, um, if you want to, get to see somebody else who's playing Minecraft like a tabletop game in a more literal sense, um, there's a guy I found on Twitch a while ago whose name is Acrylic51. Um, he has a world that he's been working on for about six or so years, like six plus years at this point. I think he's got some custom terrain generation in there. He's building a lot of it in survival by hand, but it's all tied into a set of fantasy novels that he's writing. And he also has a Dungeons and Dragons campaign that's running with some friends in the same world. So he's actually using Minecraft as both a canvas to visually describe some of the stuff that he's writing about in the books that he likes to write. Um, He's uh, like, He's using that then as a reference back when he wants to write more of the books. He has like a solid reference visually for what he can then write about. And also, yeah, he and some friends are effectively work working their way through a dungeons and dragons campaign which is an, a neat way of approaching this game especially when dungeons and dragons happens on a grid and so does minecraft to an extent and so you can kind of transpose some ideas between the two of them um but yeah i think that's a, a really neat approach to it and yeah attaching lore to stuff allows you as joel was saying to think about like, who built this and why? Like, if the answer is just I built it because I liked the idea, then fine. Like, that's, that's, not a, uh, a, that's not a bad reason to build something. But if you want the whole thing to feel a lot more coherent, you can do worse than thinking, has this area been built by a civilization? Has it been built by aliens? Has it been built by, you know, some sort of fantasy race? That helps you decide what your next move is, potentially even what materials you want to use. And you allow yourself to bend the rules of reality a little to fit the picture that you want, and that also means bending the rules of physics, which Minecraft does naturally anyway. As I'm building this dwarven mine, I'm thinking about, you know, what are they there for? They're probably mining copper, because you get a ton of that in dripstone caves, and the dripstone itself doesn't seem all that valuable. So am I going to make a bunch of stuff in this area out of copper, because that's what they're mining? Probably not, because if they're mining it, they're going to export it to use elsewhere in whatever civilization they come from so i think it's you know potentially they don't use a great deal of copper there the materials there are more kind of wood and stone and probably some iron here and there maybe a bit of deep slate and you you start to think what matches with those so you end up with a a bunch of different ideas coming out of just a simple concept of like who is responsible for this particular area being built so i think that's fun i think it's a a good approach and if you've got your own sort of idea that you're role playing a character in the game then that's also a fun way of doing it what would my character do there's there's plenty of ways to approach it and all of them are correct i think it's a sandbox game once again you can sort of do what you want that way
0: we do have a third email this week that we're going to fold into the main discussion do you want to kick us off with reading this one
1: yeah, so this one felt like a good thing to touch on considering that we were talking to Slice Lime a lot last week and we didn't get time to fully flesh out what we thought about some of the stuff in the Warden deep dark snapshot, the experimental snapshot that was released recently. So this one comes in from Pine1Needle and the subject is pondering portal possibilities. Hi, Johnny and Joel. There has been a lot of speculation online recently about the structure at the center of ancient cities. Some suggest that it's a portal to a new dimension, Others propose that it leads to a pocket dimension, a small space unique to each player that only that player can build. Still others have conjectured that the portal links to a similar center structure at another ancient city providing overworld fast travel across thousands of blocks. Regardless of what the structure actually does, assuming it will do anything at all, an interesting question is, how would the portal be activated? What if when the warden re-entered the ground after not sensing a vibration for a while, it left a new item on the ground where it burrowed? This could be called Essence of Skulk, for example, and applying the item to the interior of the portal frame could activate it. What do you think? Would this encourage players to avoid the warden instead of fighting it, so they could obtain the item, or is the idea flawed because it requires the player to summon the warden in the first place? Pine One Needle stepped into the Warden's wardrobe, but ended up somewhere very different than Narnia. Some really creative sign-offs this week. Yes, very creative. And some creative ideas as well. I like the idea of the only thing that could activate this portal being from the thing you're trying to avoid the entire time. Although I I will say I don't know if it's going to be possible to avoid the Warden if you're still looting the ancient city. Because having like explored a bunch of this myself and i presume a lot of the placement of things like skulk sensors and shriekers and catalysts and everything is sort of random when it generates these in the deep dark i don't think i I think there are some areas in which if you break a skulk shrieker you're going to alert a bunch of sensors that will alert another shrieker i think the only way to do it would be to break two of them in perfect unison somehow (laughs) and I don't think that's Hmm. possible so I, I I get the feeling that when it comes to requiring the player to summon the warden in the first place that is really baked into the experience of raiding an ancient city in the deep dark you are going to be encountering the warden at some point if you want to get everything out of this structure I don't know if players are going to find a configuration of an ancient city that's going to be favorable enough to the player that you won't see the warden at all and I sort of think that's the intended experience so the warden is going to be part of that no matter what meaning that the essence of skulk idea does make a lot of sense as as a concept because you know you're going to encounter the warden avoiding it is the idea once it arrives and so if it leaves behind an item that is beneficial to the player then that's in theory the intended purpose and also doesn't mean you get the item by fighting the warden you get it from seeing the warden but then seeing it leave again
0: yeah, and in, in this situation, beating the warden means avoiding it successfully, not yeah. con- not confronting it. Um, after seeing your gameplay, I don't want to confront it. <laughs> I <don't, laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that's something that's on my to-do list. Um, but I like the idea of it kind of like, especially because of how uh, squishy and weird the skulk is. And the fact that the warden looks like it has like skulk-ish features uh, I like the idea of do you remember the Slimer from Ghostbusters like whenever it went through the wall yes. it would leave like a mm-hmm. smoosh of slime yeah I yeah, th- yeah, think yeah. that's kind of a cool idea when if the warden is leaving you alone and saying goodbye but as it has as it exits the world kind of like I don't know if this is necessarily a physical digging itself out of the ground or it's a this is just how it arrives in your world sort of deal. And I like the idea of as it returns to wherever it comes from, it leaves like this little puddle behind it. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that could be kind of cool. Maybe it changes the blocks, you know, into this, into this essence that you have to collect. That could be cool too. I like the idea of it changing the blocks rather than it leaving like an item spinning on the ground that could despawn or burn or like otherwise be destroyed accidentally. Um, Yeah. I I think that having to dig up a block that would then give you something would be, would be cool. Um, I like, the idea of ancient frames leading to other ancient city frames though i'm only getting a little bit of ire from people saying like that's not exactly new game content like you just yeah <laughs> it would be cool but then like how useful is it once you've done it once and is it is that going to be disappointing for a lot of people um we do get a fair amount of email um regarding like end game content and wanting more of it um and in terms of like the personal pocket dimension, my cheeky answer is that that's going to be useful only on servers where you need to hide your goodies from other players. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a simple solution would be play on a server with nicer people. <laughs> you know, like I, 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 don't know. I mean, again, kind of, kind of devil's advocate there, but like, I don't know how that would really play out in terms of its flexibility or usability for things. I mean, again, yeah. unless, unless it's. A combination of like well if that's what you keep in the dimension and you're somehow able to travel then if you find another deep dark city and you need to get a bunch of things you know like you've put two dozen shulker boxes in your little pocket dimension and then you want to go collect them in another ancient city miles and miles and miles away then that could work but like i you know that seems like a lot of bother i'd rather just make two trips
1: (laughs) yeah 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 no, like, that, that was my response to that idea as well. Is like, it sounds cool on paper. It's the dimensional equivalent of an ender chest. Yeah, but, and, oh and, yeah. Every, and everything you build there is personal, but then that's not particularly valuable on single player where the entire world is already my personal dimension. Like, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily add value unless there is something unique about that environment which you can't get in the Overworld, the Nether, or the End. And if you want a pocket dimension that you can reach from a number of different places throughout the world, there are... In Java Edition, 128 strongholds that you can you can use the end for that if you wanted to, as long as you're happy not summoning the dragon again. You could use the central end island as a pocket dimension like that. Um, so yeah, I am I am very curious about this frame at the center of ancient cities. The most obvious answer, of course, is that it's a portal, but to where? Or to what and why are the other the follow-up questions to that? Now it, it makes sense that it's a portal because we are used to portal frames in Minecraft being squares. You know, <laughs> like a Nether portal has to be a two by three, or I think up to a twenty-one by twenty-one interior. Um, end portals always look exactly the same; they're always a three by three made of specific blocks that you can't move or break, and that sort of lines up with the ancient city vibe as well but then if it's a portal we don't know anything about a new dimension that they are considering adding and if they're not adding a new dimension then uh, you know if it takes us to somewhere in the overworld or the nether or the end what's to stop us going there and finding it already and so that's the interesting part is if it's going to lead anywhere it has to lead somewhere that feels new and what is going to be new for the Minecraft team at any point is 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 really kind of, you know, anybody's guess at this stage. A New Dimension was not announced for the Wild update. It certainly wasn't on the slate for Caves and Cliffs back when the Warden was just a feature of, you know, effectively what's now a Deep Slate cave. Um so so the fact that they have changed their vision for the deep dark to include ancient cities ancient cities now include something that might also show a vision for something happening in future and at this point the developers might be laughing at us because they will have something completely different in mind for it that we don't know at all what it is yet i think the one thing i appreciate in all of this is mojang keeping secrets about this because the warden was one of those things that i wanted almost to be added to the game without anybody knowing it was there so that people didn't immediately, you know, go find it in creative or start decompiling the codes to find out what it did and where it lived before people got to discover it for themselves in a more organic way. And so this right now is a continuing mystery about the deep, dark, and ancient cities that's going to, you know, have people's minds spinning a little bit and is going to be the next thing to discover after we've finally got our hands on the warden itself you know
0: yeah if they do decide to make it a portal into some other place then i i could see that not happening in the wild update i think it would be an interesting idea to say lay the groundwork for another update like if they've got future plans and they know what those plans are but they know that it's not possible to do that all at once um but a lesson they might have learned from 118 and 117 then I could see it being like, well, we know this is going to happen eventually, and we're also going to enjoy watching you all squirm <laughs> for mm-hmm. for a few months while this is this big square box is hanging out in the middle uh, of an ancient city. I do find the divine design of it kind of odd. Um, I mean, yes, it screams Minecraft portal, but it also looks like a big screen TV to me, yeah, uh, which I can't unsee. And um, one thing I did notice that was interesting was that it can, the blocks of reinforced deep slate can be moved by pistons. Uh, but cannot be picked up by the player. They end up being destroyed. Um, we have a similar mechanic in amethyst geodes in that you can use pistons to harvest amethyst crystals, but you cannot move or collect or retrieve the budding amethyst. You can't collect all those buds, put them into a very tight efficient farm, and run it yourself and get infinite crystals. Like you you have to work yourself through a puzzle, if you wanna to bother to automate a geode farm, then you there's a very specific way to do it and there's immovable objects. There are things that you have to work around, there is no way around them. And I'm curious, um, The um, Pine Needle said there might be like something left behind by the warden to initiate this potential portal. I'm wondering if to initiate the potential portal, you have to move it into a specific configuration you know, like, what oh, if you have to right. change its shape? Like, what if you have to turn it into a square? What if, I think it should be a square to start with, but like, what if you had to turn that square into a circle or oval or, you know, something that, octagon, something that had like a specific, you know, amount of movement. Um, I'm thinking about the kind of work that people have to do when they want to break break the bedrock ceiling in in the nether, you know, that that kind of specific piston pushing things. I feel like doing something like that could be kind of interesting, uh making you alter the environment to realign you know whatever these things are to to enter the the portal
1: kind of like Um, the scene in stargate where they're trying to figure out what like which which symbols need to align to get Mm -hmm. to the right kind of like the the right phone number that they're calling in in, in the interstellar sense (laughs) they're like dialing the 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 right thing for home um Yeah, um, Shepard in our live chat has just pointed out they did say the blocks being movable was not intentional, so maybe that's not part mm. of their vision right now, but right. for for all we know, like presumably they have a plan for what this kind of thing is, but we don't know if that plan is set in stone yet, or if it's the kind of thing that through community speculation could then develop into something else. Like It was the kind of thing where yes the warden ended up getting delayed but they added to the vision of the warden what if they've got ideas for this that they're going to delay until people end up coming up with more ideas for it um the other thing to point out about this location is that it always spawns with the same surroundings it's got a walkway around the outside lots of candles up against the kind of altar that this thing is built on a lot of soul fire underneath which is just on soul soil or soul sand it's nothing out of the ordinary except you know soul sand is usually just from the nether there are redstone lamps lined up in front of it so there are four redstone lamps on pillars with a skulk sensor waterlogged above them so the skulk sensor itself doesn't um, make any sound but if you make sound near the skulk sensor it lights up The redstone lamp underneath it and a few people kind of said oh what if you light up all of the redstone lamps does that activate the portal obviously tried that it doesn't but whether that's part of it somehow and if it's something as i want to say flimsy as that because it seems like if you just light four redstone lamps within a radius of this thing it turns on there are so many ways for the player to manipulate that and it doesn't really make for much of a puzzle especially when these things are going to light up on their own when you go near them. And it's clearly not any kind of redstone mechanism that's going off of these redstone lamps and elsewhere because there isn't enough room in the structure for them to be wired into anything else or like an observer to detect that the lamp has turned on or anything like that. So uh, yeah, I'm not certain if the redstone lamps are linked to it or if they're really just there to provide a tutorial to the player to say, hey, Skulk sensors can be waterlogged so they don't make noises and they have a redstone signal that they output when they're activated there's you know some potential for that to be a red herring there's also potential for it to maybe be part of the solution in the end
0: that's an interesting idea too activating other things in the area specifically if to turn on the the potential portal if it was sound activated then you'd have a choice to make (laughs) Yeah, like like I want to turn this on, I'm gonna to have to make some noise. Is that gonna then summon the warden? And then can I get through this portal before the warden realizes what yeah. I'm doing? Go like, go up there
1: could... with a with a jukebox and a copy of Pig Step and <laughs> see if that lights the portal. <laughs> yeah. Um
0: Yeah. That I mean I can just I'm imagin like my brain goes right to like Borderlands 3 claptrap, like <laughs> sitting in front of the portal going like mm-ts,
1: mm-ts, mm-ts, Yeah, yeah, immediately. <laughs>
0: dancing around, right? Yeah. That that would that would be funny. Um one of the things that i i think um my brain goes to by default that i'm trying to talk myself out of is like because of how dark and dank the deep dark is uh the end is black space with floating islands and a deadly dragon the nether is not inviting in the least it's pretty dark and, and evil um my brain goes to more evil like my brain goes to like probably because of the skulk it goes to like you know bioluminescence and and like dark twisted weird stuff uh kind of like stranger things you know behind this potential portal that could be the exact opposite like it could be <laughs> sunshine rainbows cotton candy and brightly colored everything the warden could be friendly and happy to see you and break dancing on the other side of this portal uh and just angry because he's in your world not and and away from ca- cotton candy land uh so who knows what what it what it could be um but yeah, I I find that it's really intriguing especially because we've heard so Well, well nothing about it. Uh, and I don't, I don't know what kind of thing is going to go. I if and if they do something like that, if they do a dimension, if they do something like that. I'd like it to be wildly different. Mm-hmm. Like Minecraft is as, as much as we've been talking about immersion, Minecraft is weird. And and I'd like, you know, like sea striders, weird. <laughs> Cute but weird. And yeah. and I feel like, you know, you could You could go to the other side and have, like, put your foot down on the weird gas. Like, imagine, like, the experience of walking through one of those closet doors in Monsters, Inc., like that kind of Mm -hmm. weird. Yeah. I think that would be hilarious.
1: Yeah. Like, if we end up with a new dimension, it's going to be very interesting seeing what they do because... There have been so many other great ideas that have already been explored in popular community mods, like very well-known, almost household name Minecraft mods, one of which King B-Dogs designed himself, the Aether. So like you've got stuff like Aether, Twilight Forest, Between Lands. they kind of run the, the spectrum really because Aether is more like a, a sky island sort of dimension, there's clouds and and various bosses out there as well. Um, but the the experience there are like pigs with wings and things like that, you know, it's, it's, it's more angelic feeling. Um, Twilight Forest is like a very unique dimension mod and it's got its own share of like bosses and challenges, regions that you have to explore, you know, unlocking them kind of almost Metroidvania style, I, I guess. Um, and then there's Betweenlands, which is a bit more aligned with the deep dark idea. It's a lot more kind of like wild and untamed kind of vibe and but even even stuff like that the community has already explored concepts like that which i don't know if minecraft is going to step into the same territory partly to avoid stepping on the toes of mod authors who've managed to get their work known so well but also the idea that they have original ideas of their own that they want to push through um i mean custom dimensions in vanilla minecraft are now way more accessible to the player being data driven and the community can make their own dimensions using vanilla blocks and different world generation and mojang has even kind of folded that back in on itself with the infinity snapshot that they released last april fools maybe april fools before i forget which but that had a ton of different dimensions in it a bunch of like easter egg style things where it was rearrangements of different minecraft blocks in different configurations and it was really showcasing we can make dimensions data-driven, you can build a world out of more or less whatever you want at this stage. You have to have a custom coded way of getting there, but the fact is it's possible to do that. And so now they've done all of that, what can they still do that makes a new dimension impressively different from anything that a player could do at this stage? And that's the challenge that they've set for themselves if they're making this into anything dimensional. Um... Like I said, I don't know if it's going to take us to somewhere in the nether or the end that would be gated off from the player already. I think the only thing I can think of is if they did to the to the nether what they've already done to the overworld and they put stuff below the bedrock or something. Like if if they ended up building something below Y0 in the nether and had the deep dark portal go to the nether like to to the underside of the nether but then that's something that players could just break the bedrock and find for themselves with the right kind of technical approach anyway so Yeah. yeah again really curious about where some of this is going i don't think it's going anywhere we've been before and that seems like a perfect place for us to go to the end of the show. <laughs> That's going to wrap up another episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community. Pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chats, where you can participate in things like our live show recordings and and the monthly minecraft audio hangout we're currently at 338 patrons which is up an additional seven from last week thank you all so much for hopping on board and special thanks go to our content engineers hunter555 jumbo Sail, and yitz for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support
0: the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about The Spawn Chunks, and then they can listen to it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you can find a podcast. While you're out there, leave us a rating and a review on your favorite platform that helps us reach new listeners. You can also email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS link is on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance,
1: the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs, You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I tend to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in season two of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind the scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series. And I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am doing online, including my illustration
0: and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can link from there to The Citadel Cafe, my podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, which is at thecitadelcafe.com. My server mate, Stephen ESC, is going to be joining me this week. We're going to be talking about Vikings Valhalla. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I'm currently working my way through all of Fabric 5,
1: and of course, building medieval stuff on The Citadel. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, or so the stories say.